Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy, which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. If you're a Spoonie or caregiver, you're already familiar with the importance of taking care of your mental health as part of a whole person approach to healing. But there are so many options out there, and many either feel impersonal or are inaccessible due to exclusionary pricing and long wait times. When you're living with complex conditions, you need to streamline your care as much as possible, too. And with Mood Health, you can do just that. With personally designed plans starting at just $45, appropriately vetted practitioners, and a concierge who takes you every step of the way, Mood is a simple, affordable, and convenient solution with therapy, psychiatry, and medication management all in one place. Mood's amazing clinicians actually care about you, and long-term relationships are prioritized over quick fixes. Go to moodhealth.com and use code INVISIBLE10 for $10 off your first session. You can thank me later. Thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with one of my new friends, actually. (laughs) You may know her as the host of the She's Crafted to Thrive podcast. She's a mindset business coach who also lives with chronic illness. Welcome, Nikita Williams. Nikita, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Lauren. I'm so excited to be here. Like, really? (laughs) I mean, it's it's been kind of gorgeous because you and I have developed this lovely friendship through the Chronicon community and Nitika yeah. Chopra. And I feel like half the people I have on the show lately, I'm like, it's Nitika introduced us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and you very kindly had me on your show as well. Um, so I'm just excited to continue the conversation, but with the microphone pointing at you this time. Um, <laughs> so I like to start at the beginning of the beginning with these conversations. And I was hoping that you could share with us when and how you first realized that you had something going on health-wise and what steps you've taken to control your health since then? Yeah. So (laughs) anytime I tell the story, I'm always laughing at people inside of myself because this is like a weird story because it's weird. Okay. So (laughs) I did, I think I had a chronic illness, just didn't know that I had one and it really got kicked off right literally Literally, the day of my honeymoon, right after I got married, we were in Jamaica, and I was like, something's not right. This pain is something else. I am probably what few of the people who have experienced this kind of set off, or just not a lot of people talk about that. Like, um, that's a yes and. Right? (laughs) When you get married, it's like, you know, your parents talk to you about 
the things that happens when you get married, but no one talks to you about when you get married and it's like your first and all those different kind of things. And they're like, that messes your hormones. Nobody talks about that. So yeah. I think for me, it was just like that kind of experience. And literally once we got back home from our honeymoon, I was like, something's wrong. We were going back and forth to the hospital and the doctors was like, I don't know what to tell you. It seems like, you know, this is quote unquote normal. It seems like maybe you're just having more pain when you're having your cycle. Yeah, Like what a surprise. Right. Um, But, you know, (laughs) hindsight 2020, like when I look back, those are the same things that when I started my cycle that my doctor would tell me like, oh, you having heavy periods and heavy cycles are, you know, normal. But for me, they were like excruciating. They were long. They were so heavy, like really bad clotting, like to me, but nobody told me that was any different. Well, and here's our PSA to everyone tuning in. Not normal. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not normal. So for about a year back in 2009, newly married, (laughs) my poor husband take me in and out of the hospital in the middle of the night and putting things in test tubes that you should never have to do. Oh God. Talk about a a lesson in intimacy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, but he, he's, 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 he's amazing. So um, while we were going through that, the doctor, my OBGYN was like, I think you probably have what is called endometriosis. So, you know, I know the statistic is every, it takes between one and 10 women to get a diagnosis. But to me, it takes, I don't know where that number starts. Like, when do you know that that research actually starts? Because for me, when I got my cycle, when I was like 15, if we, I believe I had it then and just nobody knew and I didn't know anything and my mom didn't know anything. That's what we've been told that this is AKA mm-hmm. normal. Do you think there was also like shame around you sort of developing into a woman and and like having pain early on with your period? Like, was that something that you talked to your girlfriends about? I mean, not really. I mean, it's not anything we talked about. I mean, I remember the reason why we started going to the OBGYN because they were so bad and you know, my mom would be like, yeah, I mean, I've always had bad ones, but she had fibroids. So, you know, as an African-American, that's a very popular thing, right? And so it's just like, well, we need to go check and make sure you don't have fibroids when you're 15 years old. So that's why you go to the doctor. No, there's no other reason. Like you would go for something like that unless you're, you know, other things. So not necessarily shame. It's just, you didn't know, like you, you didn't know what you didn't know. And so when the doctor told me, I think you might have endo. Um, but before that I got a PCOS um, diagnosis that let me know that, you know, I had really cystic ovaries. And so they would mm. see them a bit in the, the um, ultrasound and they were like, that could be contributing to your heavy flow and all of that. But I'm like, this is I'm like, if it's like that, like, you know, at the time I just was like, it can't be just that there's too much pain. Like there's too much, all the research I had done, I was like, yeah. Um, Mm. And so we just kept going. And this poor doctor, she was, when I would go into her office, I would tell my husband this and he would get so mad. He would, she was like, oh, whenever I see your name on the roster, I'm thinking this is my problem lady. And I have to figure out what's wrong with her. But she didn't say it like, she didn't say it like at the time. I don't think she said it like, you know, it was just like, 
I, she had to stretch herself with me. That's what I felt like she had to stretch. Cause I would research, I would ask lots of questions. I would do all of the advocating and she's like, I don't know. I, I have to look at that or I have to research that. And, you know, and at the time back in 2009, you guys, this endometriosis was like, what is that? That there was barely any research about it. It was a topic, but it was kind of particularly like not among black women. I exactly. mean, that's one of the huge areas of research that is exactly a problem. So it wasn't really a common thing you heard about. So you you're kind of fighting two different things. Like the doctors don't really understand it. They don't really believe it. They also just think, you know, it's a period. You're a woman, get over it. Um, so there was a lot of that, but I think I tried everything known to man. Um, and if, when I look back at it, <laughs> I think, man, I should have, I should have paid a little bit more attention to all the things I was trying. Um, Cause some of those things definitely affected more of my hormone balance all the way up till now. Um, but finally we got to the point where they were like, if it is endo, the only way to confirm it is for exploratory. And so I was like, <laughs> that's great. Why isn't there a better way to confirm this? Yeah, that's a real problem with endo, isn't it? That it requires a, a minimally invasive, but still a, a surgical procedure. Right. Laparoscopy in right. order to confirm its presence. Yeah. Right. So it's like, okay, all right. So here we are, I think six months into our marriage, I'm having surgery <laughs> yeah. for a diagnosis. And so we're like, okay, what is it? And um they're like, yes, we saw, we, we found some endo. There weren't stages at that time. Like people asked me, what stage were you? I'm like, I don't know. They just said I had it. Like that wasn't, that wasn't even how far they had gotten into wow. that research about stages. Um, so it was just like, yes, you have it. We removed. And when they say they removed, they just burned off the, um, the adhesions that they could physically see. And then I also had it like around my block, my bowel. So it was like, we can't really mess with that because, you know, that's a little bit more deep. So we need to do mm. hormone therapy, um, all these different kind of things to help with your estrogen because endometriosis feeds off estrogen. Um, so we need to figure out how to suppress that hormone a bit so that you're not having overgrowth. So that was just the beginning of like all of the things. And I feel like, at some point during that process, I also was like, okay, that was down, down South in the girly parts, but I was also having a lot of body wide side pain. And it was like, something else is going on. I don't know what it was. And you guys, I was a really active kid. Like I played volleyball. I was in gymnastics. I was in dance. So for me, it was just like a weird thing for all of a sudden my body to hurt just to walk or to swell or like for someone to hug me. It was like, oh my gosh, I feel like you just crushed me. Yeah. <laughs> like those kind of pains. And, you know, it took me another year to get the diagnosis for fibromyalgia. Um, but that diagnosis was like one of those like the doctor named it, but he says, I don't even think that's what you have, but I don't know what huh. else to call it. Wow. But it was basically like, congratulations, you're in pain. Yeah, basically. Like this is yeah. technically what we believe this is. This is, And so, you know, around 2010, I kind of like after that and doing multiple different treatment plans and things like that, I think around 2015, I just said, you know what? I'm going to stop taking all of this medicine. I'm going to stop uh, all these different things. I had tried all of these different diets and foods and it was just like, nothing is working and I'm miserable. Mm. 
yeah. my husband is miserable because he's like, I don't know if I'm going to get Kita or I'm going to get Kita. Like, <laughs> who am I getting today? Yeah. The hormones um, are the Yeah. Yeah. And so I just told my doctors, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to take a year and I'm not going to take any other medications. I'll come in for my normal annual check, annual checkups, but I'm not going to do anything. I'm just let my body rest so I can get to know what my body is at that point. Cause you know, that doctors are, what's your normal? I'm like, I have no idea. (laughs) It's Um, it's probably like, I mean, this decision is a very wise one. Yes. Like in inner wisdom that you had, I mean, it's no coincidence that you coach other women, but you know, that, that you had the inner knowing to go, you know what, we need to step back for a minute and we need to strip back to basics, understand who Nikita is and then rebuild. Yeah. Yeah. And and also a very wise decision considering, and we're going to get into this, but like the role of the black woman in medicine. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's a lot. It, it, it was a lot. It, to me, it was a big decision. I knew I needed to do it, but it was also like this scary void of the unknowns. Like, oh gosh, I'm getting off, you know, pain medicine, birth control, um, shots. Like I did take the shot, which anyone who is thinking about taking the shot, please, 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 please research that because it's literally like chemo on steroids. Um, and they don't tell you that, and there's not enough information about it. So do your, do your homework and ask a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can say. Um, but I just decided, you know, I'm going to give myself some time off. And it was so interesting. Like within two months, my husband was like, this is the woman I marry, yeah. which is crazy. Like you just, like, I, I remember him saying that and I just like busted out crying. Cause I was like, I forgot who this woman was. Like, I didn't know who I was. Like, even my friends and my family, it was just like, I felt like I was just going with the wind of all of the things, right? Were you and also, were you offered mental health support? No, no. Not one. Whatever. Like, and this is the thing, a- it's like, well, the impact here is so emotional and no one ever no. thought to be like, hey, maybe we should also simultaneously offer you some extra no. support. No, no, none of that, none of that. And you know, the thing about that too is that, you know, they, they believe that endometriosis is hereditary. Like they believe there's a genetic aspect to it. And I was diagnosed with it. And I asked all of my family, anyone have it? Anybody hear about it? Everybody's like, we don't even know what that is. I asked my dad, he has four sisters and he's like, I asked them and I don't think they, you know, they didn't say anything about it. They asked about fibroids. That's always a thing. Like, it's like, if you're black, you have fibroids. Like if you're a black woman, you well, have fibroids. Because 70% of black women get them. Right. A pretty big but percentage. That, yeah. But that, that's just one of the, one of the many things that we have. That's easy to be seen right? It's easy to, to yeah. see and treat and go. There's no more extra like work. <laughs> There's no I mean, more you say extra... easy to treat. It's like treating fibroids is actually, it's like, it's either a big surgery or I mean, it's surgery. Right. It's, but it's still not the same as like an endometriosis situation where it's like, well, if we can see it, but also these adhesions could be like literally endometriosis right. has been observed in every organ of the body. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's, (laughs) 
and it would it takes time for a doctor to sit with you to actually understand that and listen to what you're saying. But if you go to the doctor and you're like, oh, I feel like you have a grapefruit in your body, that that description in itself says, okay, there might be a cyst, you might have fibroids. But when you're expressing yourself when it comes to having endometriosis, those are not the terms you're using. And you're using terms that are usually used for just like what they consider a bad period. So I got really clear on how to describe my pain. Like I would start, like my husband always cracks up at me because when I'm explaining to him, he's a man who doesn't really get sick. I mean, like he gets a burnt chicken mark on his hand. He's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to be like, you remember that pain? Okay. Times 20. So I have just gotten used to describing my pain in a way that articulates a different message than my period is heavy. And it feels like, you know, my stomach is crampy. (laughs) So you literally had to change the way that you spoke about it for other people to understand you, which is an important point here right? because it happens to women all the time. Right that you had to learn a new language essentially yeah. or fit into the the structures that exist because right. this world has not been built for women to discuss their health in ways that are relatable. Right. Yeah, no, totally. So anyway, I think what I was saying is like, you know, it's kind of hereditary or it's in the genetic code. And then it took five years. And then one day my dad calls me and this is around the time where I was like, you know, I'm not doing anything. I'm not, I'm, I'm done. And it's so interesting to me, interesting to me, the response to that was like in my life, people were like, oh my gosh, we're so worried about you. Are you sure you want to stop? Like, and it's like, you don't know what this is doing to me, like beyond the pain of what this is going on. And it's not that all of those treatments were making things better. They were adding a whole nother level of like drama to my life, to my body physically and emotionally. So Anyway, when I decided to not do all those things, my dad one day calls me. He's like, oh, so I got him talking to my sisters and they all have endometriosis. What now? Yeah. He's like, yeah, they all have it. I don't think they knew what it was called. And it was brushed off like for them. And my, my, my dad's family are all Jamaican. So they're here in the States, but they're all Jamaican. So even more <laughs> of that issue. So talking Mm -hmm. about that kind of stuff is not anything that they talk about. So for them, for that to come up in the conversation also came up around a time where I I feel like I just had more clarity. I was getting more answers to the things I was praying a lot about, just trying to figure out what this meant for me. And, you know, but they all had children too. And it just was confusing to me because from everything I read, the reason why women have endometriosis, sometimes they don't have children. So there was a lot of misinformation that I made a lot of assumptions on that were based on things that were inaccurate, even in the diagnosis of having endometriosis. So for me, I just started to really pay attention to my body. I started trying different things that (laughs) like were weird, but necessary. Like holistic methods. Right. Holistic things. And, um, it was really a good friend reached out me reached out to me who lived with this. She also had something called adenomyosis, which is another similar. Um, it's almost like a cousin to endometriosis, just a bit. Um, but she expressed to me just her approach to finding out her body's rhythm, and I never really understood what that really meant. And it also meant dealing with a lot of the emotional aspect of things, and you don't really think about trauma. You don't think about medical trauma. No one talks about medical trauma. Um, 
you don't even hear that term unless you're amongst other people who've gone through medical trauma. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, it, it, it was like a learning curve in a lot of different ways to just really understand that my body is different. I'm very sensitive. A lot of my pain is a, I'm a very sensitive nerve inside and out. And so is, so am I emotionally and, you know, all of those different highly sensitive person. You're an HSP. Yeah. Yeah. So often, I mean, we see that correlation a lot on the show. We talk to people who are both emotionally sensitive and physically sensitive. They tend to go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about it is that you just don't, you don't have the tools to deal with it. You don't have the tools, you know, I have a faith and I completely believe in my faith. Um, But there's also, you know, a reason why you see doctors. There's a reason why you eat the right food. There's, you know, those are things that are not necessarily a part of your culture that you have to learn about. And so for me, since 2017, I think I've just really had a, a, a growth in like knowing what holistic things work for me, um, trying different things, being open to the ability of trying things that I didn't even know existed and would even help. Um, and that's helped me to advocate for myself even more so. Um, so those are just the two diagnoses <laughs> I have last year. I just got a new diet, two new diagnoses that I thought I've had for since my hysterectomy in 2017. So, um, but I'm in a much better place to deal with that than I would have been had I not taken that time for myself. Do you want to share the diagnoses with us? Or? Oh yeah. No. Um, last year I got um, diagnosed with IC, which is chronic bladder pain. Um, I've always, always complained about that. And because it is in the region where all the other things are going on, you will get gaslit. You will get told, well, this is because everything down there is so sensitive. Like that's just everything down there is so sensitive. And I would- So are your dicks. Your dicks are sensitive too. That's what I have to say about that. (laughs) Yeah. And I would tell people, and you know, what's interesting about my story though, I don't see male doctors. Mm. So it's even women who just can't expand their their compassion. Yeah. I see, I see female doctors on- all the time. I just don't feel comfortable. I had one experience as a teenager with a male doctor and I swore never, ever, ever (laughs) to do that again. Um, Even when I considered doing it, I'm like, nope, 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 I'm good. Not doing it. So for me, it was like the women that are doctors, first of all, we think of them in such a way that's like, you should understand as a woman you know, coming to you, sharing your pain and all of these different things that there would be some compassion and there isn't much. <laughs> um, and it's, I don't think it's to their, their fault. I think it's the the system that they're in. Um, but it does make it more difficult for you to find, for people to take you seriously because they only have like 10, 15 minutes with you. Yeah. Um, so when I got this diagnosis last year, it was the first time I saw a you're what are you calling Urogynecologist. Urogynecologist, right? Did, I, I, but the, here's another PSA. Who's listening to this episode and has never heard of a urogynecologist? I bet there are a lot of people raising their hands right now. Mm-hmm. This is a gynecologist who specializes specifically on bladder control and pelvic floor issues. Yes. Who knew? And you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that referral because when I went to my doctor, the doctor is like, you need to go to a urologist. 
So for, again, I've been doing this game, like, and I do consider it a game. I've been in this game since 20, 2009 (laughs) that I know I'm like, yeah, but I don't need to see a urologist. I need to see someone who knows about girly parts and the pee. (laughs) And well, that's your instinct saying this is not in a silo. We've got to stop looking at this as one part. We need to look at it as part of something, a larger system. Absolutely correct. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so um, I researched and researched. There aren't a lot of them. Um, There are a lot of men, which is always interesting to me in comparison to women. But I found one here in Atlanta. And um, not only was she amazing, she was an African-American woman, which And that specialty is like unheard of. Yeah. And the first time I went into her office, she sat down with me and said, tell me about your life. And I said, you Uh, mean like, you mean like, like, like in the last two days? Like, (laughs) this is what my favorite doctor did to me too. So you were born and (laughs) I'm sorry, but I thought you only had 15 minutes. (laughs) Right. Right. And it's like, managed to get to the point where they can control. I don't know how they do it but they're still covered by insurance and they can take all the time they want. Yes. I think you have to be that much of a specialist. Yes. Yes. And I was like, what? (laughs) Interestingly, I I also need to interject here that the doctor who did that for me, also a woman of color. Mm. I've never had a white doctor do that for Mm. me unless it was in, you know, an integrative practice where they take an hour in the first appointment because that's how it's structured, but it's not covered by insurance. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So it's really interesting, but she sat down and we talked and she's like, you are describing literally you tick every box. And she's like, how long have you been feeling this way? I'm like, I've been feeling that this is what it is for the last at least 10 years. And even more so after I had my hysterectomy and I've always been told that it's just because I'm sensitive down there. There's nothing really wrong. Um, and they always think it's an appendicitis because it's in that general area. So I would always go in the hospital in cringing pain. And they would, of course, do all the tests for appendicitis. And it's not appendicitis. And it's like all of those different things. She's like, yeah, you're describing literally. And then she says, I have that too. I have the same exact thing that you have. What an amazing doctor. Right. Right. And she says, so here, here's what we can do. She's like, she gave me the plan of what we can do from a medical place. And then also what I need to do for my diet specifically. And then also, um, you know, what I could do in a natural way to kind of calm the inflammation down. I have never had a doctor do that. Say none of that experience is like, what? Yeah, this is all, (laughs) it's a little bit like, excuse me. Right. (laughs) You are just the most wonderful doctor. <laughs> yes, 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 wow. yes. And um, there is another diagnosis called vestibulitis. I can never say this right. What, is it vestibulitis? Yes, there you go. And yeah. it's I'm I'm looking it up now. I'm like literally searching and seeing. Yeah, and it's about. it's and it, it's a chronic yes. condition for pain there, and you can usually see it if you're a gyn. It's really hard for you to see it from from a you know from your mirror looking down there, but a uh, uh, your yeah. gyn should be able to notice it because it can be you can it's visually a different color. It's visually red because mm-hmm. it's inflamed. In that much inflamed, and I've been saying this for years and. Um, the prior doctor to this doctor, which led me to her, 
was from was initiated from a medical trauma from a previous doctor. And so when I when she's there, she's looking and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid to touch you because I know how painful this is. And the previous doctor just didn't have that much grace and compassion. And so it's just just from that experience alone that happened last year, you realize that you have to advocate for yourself even in choosing the doctor that you want to pick. <laughs> like you can fire people. I have just straight up not gone back. I have straight up called and complained. I have done all of those things um, because when you're in pain, you don't need to have another layer of pain because of a doctor not listening to your current pain. Um, so that's a new diagnosis and I'm dealing with it and just going through the different things to kind of manage it. But now that you know what it is, it kind of creates, you are able to make more informed decisions for yourself and you're also able to eliminate or, or not. (laughs) Um, And you can listen to your body better by knowing what is working and why it hurts when such and such happens. Yeah. Absolutely. Now you've mentioned that you had a hysterectomy in 2017, I believe, right? So that seems to have been really the direction that you went in for treatment of the endometriosis. Was that a choice that you made with a doctor's suggestion? Was it a choice that you brought to your doctors? How did that sort of come about? And has it reversed any of your symptoms? Yeah. So, um, I had been asking for a hysterectomy and I do say asking, um, for like three years prior. And oftentimes the reason why I got pushed back was because I was too young. I was still in my twenties. Um, and they just didn't want to do that. Literally. That's the explanation. Which <laughs> is amazing. Cause usually it's the other way around when you're a black woman. Right. Right. And so, um, it in was the sense, in the sense of- that I, sorry, I should clarify that, but like in the sense that black women are often offered hysterectomies before anyone else. Right. In these situations. Statistically, yes. Um, But for me, my husband and I had already had the discussion. If we wanted children, we most likely would adopt. Um, But for us, what is really important for us was, you know, just finding a way to cope with the pain. And, you know, I also feel like that during my diagnosis, during going through that, that only, that was the only thing that seemed like that was made sense (laughs) because I didn't know about all of the other things that I know now from a holistic standpoint. So for me, that was like the last, like, this is the last thing we need to figure out. And I'm okay with this coming out of me. Well, so you're in so much pain. Like you don't want that in your body anymore. Right. So it's like, I don't really need, like, I'm like, I know I need it. I kept an ovary. I kept both ovaries actually. Um, but everything else is gone, but it was a choice. And when I moved to Florida, I found a doctor. She was amazing. Again, another blessing of a doctor who, after we had our surgery, she, I had, I had a flare up of all my other issues and in the middle of the night called her and I did, I got an answering service and five minutes later, she called me met me at the hospital, um, called all of the participating doctors and made sure everybody was on the same. Like, so, you know, would I do it again? I don't know. I don't, I I don't know. I don't like to think in like regrets. I don't think I regret it, but if I had more information, probably would have made a different decision. Mm. Um, 
that I knew of, right? More information from like outside of Western medicine. <laughs> like if I had a little bit more information. However, did it help? It helped in some ways and in others, it made things worse. Well, because what we know, which is often not discussed when people are exploring treatment options for endometriosis, when they have doctors who maybe have limited understanding, a hysterectomy does not cure endometriosis. Nothing cures endometriosis, just FYI, (laughs) right? And it never was. I feel like some doctors, they always let me know that. But for me, the surgery was almost, it it had beyond the initial um, diagnosis, right? The exploratory um, there was so much pain in my head. I thought there has to be something else going on in there. Like in my house, like there has to be like, this cannot be causing this type of pain where I'm in agony. I'm like literally grocery shopping and collapsing. Like there has to be something else happening. It was so intense that even when I was preparing for the surgery, I thought that they were going to find something horrible. I thought they were going to find cancer and it was malignant. And then all, I had all of these things in my head. Like I wrote letters to friends cause I was just prepared wow. and I was prepared in that moment to be like, this is it. And still no mental health support. No, no. I was like, pretty sure, like, I was like, well, if I make it out of this, great. If I don't, I had come to peace in terms with that from a spiritual human place. Um, But there was like, it was at a point where it's like, I can't go on living like this. Like, I can't go on living like this. So this is the only option. And now I have a doctor who says, yes, we'll do the hysterectomy. And so for me, it just kind of was the last, if you last straw, if you will. And it also was a confirmation that there wasn't anything else at the time that was happening in there that they just couldn't see. Right. And, so it was sort of a relief in that. Right. Exactly. So that was a really peace of mind piece. Um, but yeah, yeah. I don't even know where to go with that. <laughs> well, well, I'm curious about these holistic approaches that you're taking now, because it sounds like you've sort of taken the best that worked for you, right? Because everyone's individual yeah. um, of Western medicine and holistic approaches. Yeah. I'm curious to know where you're at now, sort of on the other side, if you will. I'm putting quotes or air quotes around that because it's sort of like you're never on the other side of being in chronic pain. Right. But um, where you're at in terms of how you are managing your pain and your mental health, like what are the approaches that you found that worked for you that you could share with people who are tuning into this episode also sitting there like, Oh my God, I'm having the same experience and maybe not as far along as you are. Right. Yeah. So that dear friend of mine who reached out to me, um, who was an answer to a prayer, um, she told me about essential oils and I was like, okay, you know, at the time, I mean, it was the rave of essential oils, right? Like make bath salts and soap and all that smelly good stuff. And it's like, (laughs) okay. Um, But she's like, yeah, this is what I'm using to help manage my pain. And I laughed at her. I was like, and what else? (laughs) I'm like, and what else are you using? Like, come on, let's be real. And she's like, Nikita, I promise you, um, it's just knowing about what it is and how it works and how to use them and how to be safe with them. And I was like, be safe with essential oil, like all of this yeah. information, right? 
And she was also a health coach. So she really did help me find some pieces like from a diet and um, mindset and as well as essential oils. Um, And I can never, I will never forget the day I got in the mail, this regimen she had given me from, for essential oils. And I was having the worst cramps because even though you have a hysterectomy, you still have your ovaries, ladies, you will still have a period. Mm. You just don't have anything coming out of you that you can see for it. So you're still going through the cycle, right? So the cramps are still happening. The pain is still happening. Not as bad, um, but still. And I remember getting those essential oils and she's like, go ahead and take this oil and that oil and rub it on your hand and topically, topically rub, you know, your pelvic tummy area with it. And I was sitting there and I was laughing while I was doing because I was like, there's no way this is like. But what else am I going to try at this point? Right. And in 15 minutes, I was like, what the heck? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And of course, like with with approaches like this too, it's like, you got to like patch test areas because some people sensitivities and things like that. Again, everyone's individual, but I had done all of that. Mm. Yeah. I had done all of that, but specifically for this particular pain, I was like, you, I was like, you're, kidding me, right? (laughs) You're kidding me. You mean to tell me all of this time, all I needed was some oil (laughs) and a hysterectomy, hysterectomy, (laughs) right? Like that's all I needed. Um, that's so interesting, but that has really like, um, essential oils has been a huge part of my management. So you smell nice all the time. I smell nice all the time. Yes. Bonus. And it also has been a great healing and help with my anxiety and pain. I'm very extrovert. um, But right after my hysterectomy, being at home, because I had such a hard time recovering, I stayed at home, I wasn't at home, going into public places and things like that was really, I felt like really anxious. I've never felt like that before. I grew up going to conventions and things like that. So that was never a thing for me. But after that surgery, it was a lot. And the other thing I want to mention here from a mental standpoint, a mental health standpoint, is that even though you're prepared for a surgery like that, even though you've made up in your mind, hey, you know, children are not going to be a thing. If we do have children, we're going to go a different route, yada, yada, yada. There's something that also happens from an emotional mental standpoint that does not get talked about enough after you have a hysterectomy. I mean, this is a Um, huge emotional journey. Huge emotional journey. And for about six months, I was in a depression. Um, So all of that tailored with like anxiety of people, like all of that. Also, oh my gosh, am I a woman still? (laughs) Um, Also, oh, I went from the choice of having children to no, you don't have that choice. You always have to consider someone else to have your child, um, all those different things. It was a lot of info, like a lot of emotional things that you thought you were ready for, but you didn't even know that you needed to be ready for. And so not to mention the fact that you see your life unfolding in a certain way. And it's like, just kidding. (laughs) Our body doesn't fit into this, this rubric. So yeah, we're going to just flip the, the script. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of that part of that is a cultural problem, right? That we, expect especially women Mm -hmm. to have a a particular physical journey but 
it's also an emotional one when you're married to a man who you're planning to have a family with. And I mean, these plans have to change. Exactly. So the essential oils and working with a health coach definitely helped me just deal with all the emotional pieces of that. I would be like walking around with my inhaler, my uh, aroma inhaler, walking into, you know, um, my Bible meetings or going to the mall, like just to prepare myself mentally and emotionally to be in space with people. And ever since that's been my journey, you know, that's the way I cope. Um, It's brought me to the business that I do now. Um, My podcast, honestly, was a way for me to heal that I didn't know would do that for me. I started to connect with people, but then I started to share my story. And oh my gosh, the, it was like therapy, but free. (laughs) Yeah, you're telling me. (laughs) It was the most healing experience. To hear right. from other people, but also to have that space to share what you're like, it sort of, it goes both ways, doesn't it? Yes. That the, the community of sharing is a pretty, there's no substitute. No, no. It's, and it's, and it's just like, also, I don't know about you, but for me to start hearing my thoughts, like the words and 100%. Yeah. It's replaced journaling for me. Yes, exactly. 100%. And also to hear other women like respond to a message, like respond to something that I sent. And they're like, oh my gosh, you explained that or said that exactly how it's an affirmation, right? Because so for many years, you're kind of going through this emotional journey alone. Even your closest friends and family with all intention, they love you, but they don't understand what that is. And so when you have people who are like, I was in my closet the other day crying because you said, something I've been saying to myself for, you know, 10 years, you're just like, what? (laughs) You know, so those are the ways that I've, you know, grown um, to cope with things and learn to cope with things. Recently, I've gotten to EFT, which is emotional freedom tapping. Um, That's like, amazing. Um, It's like acupuncture, but with your fingers, it's another way of like really tapping into negative energy and releasing that trauma from the negative energy, which doesn't necessarily have to be huge trauma, but any trauma is a trauma hit to your body, small or big, whatever. It's still negative. We don't have to qualify our traumas. Traumas are traumas, whether they're big T's or little T's. Exactly. It's trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of that has helped me. And it's interesting because the kind of person I've turned into is a very feely, feely person. (laughs) You never thought that would happen, did you? Right, right, right. I get goosies. I'm crying. Somebody tells me like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm such an emotional person. But honestly, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for being able to feel. I feel like at some points throughout my journey, it's very numb. I felt like I'm just, I'm just here. I'm just going. (laughs) Um, And now I feel like I feel life. Mm, That's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. So that this journey physically has opened up your emotional world. Yeah. 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 So you've heard of life coaching, but have you heard of health coaching? A little over a year ago, I had no idea that the field existed or how supportive I would find it to be in my own life. And while this podcast has created incredibly fulfilling work for me as a Spoonie, I wanted to do something more tangible to support this community in addition to the ongoing discussions I host on the show. So I spent all of last year training as an integrative nutrition health coach and taking adjunct courses in functional medicine approaches to autoimmune healing. I'm now able to take this work off the air and into your life 
helping you work toward transformation from surviving to thriving. Using my in-depth knowledge of lifestyle, nutrition, stress management, personal advocacy, personal experience, and more, I'm now able to work as your guide on the side, giving you the added support you need as you navigate industrialized medicine in your own search for healing. I'm offering individual coaching with group courses soon to come. If you're interested in learning more about health coaching and how I can support you, head over to calendly.com slash uninvisible to book a free 30-minute intake session. I'm so excited to connect personally with more members of this community and help you control the things you can control while working in harmony with your medical team and individual needs. Again, that's calendly.com slash uninvisible. Sign up now for your free 30-minute intake sesh. I can't wait to learn more about you. You mentioned also, you know, we touched on the advocacy piece here mm-hmm. um, in, in parts of this conversation. And you mentioned that you were able to self-advocate. Was that something that was innate? Was that something that you walked in and you were like, I know how to ask for what I want? Or was that a learning curve as well? Or did you, or did your friend who's the health coach sort of lead you into that advocacy piece? Or did you also like rely on, you know, your husband stepping up and and helping you? Like, what has that looked like? Uh, Yeah, that's all me. Um, And I say all me from a standpoint of, I grew up watching people not advocate for themselves. And so like, not even in the medical, just life. Um, And for me, I just refuse to be that kind of person. Um, so (laughs) even in the smallest things of life, I've kind of stood my ground, staked it in there. Um, and I've also been an advocate for family who, who didn't know how to do that for themselves. And for me, advocacy is just saying what you want. (laughs) It's pretty simple. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and also standing for what you believe, um, and not allowing someone or something to try to take that away from you. It's, um, it's about I, understanding where your backbone is. Right, exactly. And I do believe part of that too, I, I refer again to my faith. That's how I grew up to have my own type of faith is questioning, finding the answers and believing. Like no one's telling me what I believe. This is what I've chosen to believe because this is what I have come to see. And so that's been my journey through life, right? That's just how I feel it works. <laughs> Bless my family who tries to advocate for me. <laughs> they don't do it as fiercely as I can do, um, which is why this time of year, like this time with COVID has been such a scary, I feel like for a lot of people who have learned to advocate for themselves, but also rely on family and friends to help them with that is why a lot of people I feel like struggled and was in fear because they have maybe had people advocate for themselves and didn't have to step into that. And now you're in this environment of medical life where you can only go by yourself and you can only be in there by yourself. And so there's a lot of that, but I'm really thankful that I have that kind of background and just like that foundation. I'm, I recognize that a lot of people do. My husband is not one of those people. He's like a very like, he lets it happen. Yeah. He allows things to happen. Um, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I think I had to learn how to advocate in a different way to speak to doctors. Like, like I was mentioning earlier about how I would articulate what I needed or what I was feeling in the pain, because you start to, you start to recognize that if you say this one thing at a hospital, when you're in the ER, you're not going to get the attention you need 
to deal with it. So you are like learning how to say the right phrasing of words in order to get the attention you need, which is ridiculous. Um, I think I did an episode or something like this recently about when you're advocating for yourself and you're going to the hospital and you're in your most pain that you also have to get ready for a war to fight for yourself. Um, But if there's anything you take away from the thought of being an advocate, no one is going to advocate for you more than yourself. Your family, Mm -hmm. they're not in your body. Um, If I allowed my family to advocate for me, a lot of times they I probably would still be on medication and I would probably have never found my, my normal. So, yeah. Mm. How do you think that has impacted your relationships with these people who you're closest to as well? Like, has it allowed you to stand more firmly on your own two feet and speak up with them about things too? Oh yeah. I mean, it's kind of going back, you know, my family and my friends know Nikita's just not going to do what she doesn't want to do. Mm. (laughs) Um, And I have learned to do it with a lot more sugar, uh, a lot more sweetness and a lot more tact um, just because of understanding from a compassionate place that if you don't live this life, if you never experienced this life of a chronic journey like this, um, you don't know, like you just don't know. So I come from a much more passionate, like compassionate place now, but definitely, definitely. Yeah. Is there a typical day for you as well in terms of the pain that you're managing and sort of routines that you've established to keep yourself pain-free? Um, I wouldn't say pain-free. <laughs> I, I should qualify that statement, you know, like in terms of you're balancing the demands of work and life. That's one whole piece, right? But then there's also how do I set myself up for success so that I minimize flares, minimize the pain that I'm faced with? Like, what does that sort of look like for you day to day? I think the biggest lesson that I learned is that not dealing with the emotional and mental aspects of anything. So not just my health, but my friends, my environment, um, my past um, directly affects my future. It directly affects my today. Um, So I'm a very intentional living person. So And when I say that, I don't mean that by like Nikita wakes up at a very specific time every day because no, I don't. I mean, like the choices that I make with the people that I include in my life, um, the work that I do, um, the conversations I choose to be a part of, um, even the doctors and food and exercise, all of that. I'm very intentional about that. That has helped me a lot because stress is a trigger. Right. And so um, and not only is it a trigger, it's literally an inflammatory response that puts you into a flare. Literal biology. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's very important for me to communicate. And so for me, I spend a lot of time communicating with people what I want and what I will not accept. That's in all areas of my life. Um, So that does help me a lot. But honestly, it's really difficult to do that, right? Because then you're honestly, (laughs) you're having conversations with people you don't really want to explain some things. Um, But community has been a huge, 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 huge um, piece to my journey of finding ways to manage 
my chronic illness. It's just being able to be in a space where I don't have to explain. <laughs> yeah. um, you and I bonded on that pretty immediately too. Like, oh, you get it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it takes yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't to have- know someone out of the way. It's like, cool, cool, cool. We can already meet on this equal footing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's been really helpful, but every day is different. I mean, every day for me is a different day. Depends on what I did and what I didn't do the prior or what's happening around me as far as like circumstances that I don't have control over. Um, but the things that I stick to is prayer, spiritual routine, um, being with people that get me, um, my husband, as much as he's like, literally I, he doesn't get sick ever, but he always makes me laugh. He always helps me to see the brighter things in life. So that's really helpful on a daily and also just being okay with my emotions, like being okay when things are crappy and like acknowledging that, you know, it's hard to, to acknowledge your your feelings. Like, it's like, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> well, a lot of us, it's like, you get, you get these tough feelings, these crappy feelings, as you say. And it's like, none of us want to deal with that. Right. Like, can't we just move on to the good stuff, mm-hmm. but you can't move on to the good stuff till you actually, it's like, you can't have the sunshine without the rain, unfortunately. Right. But you know, like it is that we always want to skip to where do right. we win? But sometimes you got to just like let the bad shit happen yeah. too. Yeah, I'm a big believer that in order to embrace your future, you have to deal with your past and right now. Mm. You just you just do. I, and and I think a lot of us like try to skip that step and it's like, you're making it worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're making it worse. That's, I mean, that's really how you like bury things. And then right. years later, they become unearthed and they're yes. explosive. Yeah. What about, I mean, we're talking about everything you've been through and obviously what we talk about on the show. I mean, it's literally called uninvisible is about invisible experiences. And I'm wondering, you've touched on a number of these experiences within the healthcare system and with friends and family where you're trying to find, you know, adjust the language so that people can understand exactly what your experience is. But have you ever been in a situation where you've been confronted by someone who's like, I don't believe it because they couldn't see it. And like, how has that played out for you? Like it happens in the ER room every time. Ooh, every time when I go into the ER room, there's an, there's an instant, (laughs) there's an instant like icky feeling (laughs) like on top of whatever pain you're experiencing. Um, I've had nurses say to me, well, (laughs) well, you have endometriosis. So what do you expect? for this pain to be like, I expect you to help me. Right. Wow. Yeah. I've had women say that to me and it's, 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 it shouldn't shock me, but it still shocks me because I'm like, you're a nurse. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I've, I've literally gone into the hospital and a doctor would be like, yeah, well, I don't know what you want us to do. I mean, we can give you pain medicine, but don't you like, you know, refer me to someone if you can't fix it is what I want right, you to do. Right. Right. And I have uh, a very interesting, um, uh, I don't know what you call it, like body chemistry where I need like the hardest hard that you can give me for my pain to come down. So there's also there this, 
the other side of this is like, yeah, we can't see your pain. You're not bleeding. You're not all of these things, but you're here saying you're in quote unquote pain. Um, and you've been to the hospital however many times and right. how often are you coming here for medicine you're and a drug addict? Right, exactly. So there's a lot, there's a lot that you have to, to, to f- deal with when it's invisible. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, there are literal doctors who are like, yeah, no, that's not a thing. I think you're just gas, all the gaslighting aspects of anything. I've probably experienced it all. There are some that I didn't even know was happening until I left. And I was like, I think I was just gaslit. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> um, and didn't even know the term for that until I joined a community for someone to say that's gaslighting. Right. Yeah. So there's, yeah, totally, totally. To answer your question, yes. <laughs> yeah. What about the other layers here? I mean, we're talking about invisible symptoms, right? But in terms of the bias that you've experienced as a woman walking into the healthcare system, as a woman of color, do you think your circumstances might be different if you presented differently? And that the way that you present as like a cishet Black woman walking into a hospital has also had an influence on the way that you've been treated by medical professionals? I mean, of course. I mean, and especially if my husband's with me, even worse. <laughs> like, <laughs> if my husband's with me in the office, it's like, or at the hospital, it's like, you know, it adds a whole nother layer. If I feel like sometimes if he's not there, there's a little bit less. But the fact that there's a Black man with me, I do think yeah. that there's a piece of that that adds to that. Um, someone recently asked me a similar question to this and, um, I, I don't see the world in general in color like that. Like, you know, I just experienced my experiences and I do know that things affect people differently. And I obviously am aware that I'm a black woman, um, who lives in a world who can see me as a threat or even, um, pity me pity. (laughs) We got some air quotes around that one. Yeah. 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 Pity me. But I think there's just multiple layers, right? There's just multiple layers. I think, again, I think it's just part of it too, is just the, where, where we are with life. Um, I can understand from a compassionate place that they are dealing with a lot, right? Like the medical industry is dealing with a lot of a lot. <laughs> it's kind of hard to imagine that they can get it right. Perfect. Right. Um, but there are some aspects of things where it's just like, just treat people like they're human. Right. You know, and I think that gets lost um, between the insurance and um, the managing of people's pains and also the bias. I think it just all gets lost. And when I experience those things, I don't necessarily think, oh my gosh, it's just because I'm black. I think it's no. because we're the system's the broken. System. This is the yeah. system. This is broke. Um, and I think it's sad, but I do think you can advocate for yourself. It might, it might take a lot more time. It might take a lot more education um, and patience. But then there are times where you have to really I mean, I've had, my husband is literally gone and like yelled at people to get them to even acknowledge that I'm in pain. Um, so it's a weird, it's a weird thing, but it's like, you deal with it because what are, what are you not going to do? Like, you're not going to go get help when you need help. You just have to fight for it. 
And because you exist not just in the medical system, but like right. in the wider world. Would you say that these inequalities in the healthcare system in particular, you know, be they racial, gender, sexual orientation, what have you, are their own public health crisis? Yeah, you know, what What I think is a health crisis more so is the mental aspect of things. Mm. Um, because it's like you get a diagnosis and then you have a label and they go, have fun. Right. <laughs> it's like, go have Super. fun with this, you know. Thank you. I, I didn't realize how much fun I was already having. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't feel like there's enough, um, there's not enough support with that. Like, I feel like nobody acknowledges the, the amount of mental drainage it is on you to have something chronic. And you guys, I'm about to say something that probably, and if, if, if Lauren decides to exit this out, I, I totally get it, but I, no, probably not <laughs> say it. Be commercial, go for it. My, uh, I grew up with, you know, two generations of parents. I had my grandparents live with, with me and my mother and my father And I've seen what like their generation has gone through. And I also have seen what it looks like to have a terminal or a type of a diagnosis like cancer, right? And the different experience from like a cancer diagnosis to a diagnosis of a chronic illness, that's just like, we don't know what to do with you. It's surprising, right? Because when you, when you get a, you know, a cancer diagnosis, you get a plan, you get pamphlets, you get mental support, you get like all of these things. Right. And it's like, when you get a chronic illness where you're literally, there is no plan, there is no, (laughs) there is no necessarily, um, let's do this regimen and you're going to be good if you complete this and your numbers are great. There is none of that. And there is no emotional or mental help with that. Like you, when you get a, when you get a a cancer diagnosis, they will sit with you and your family from a mental and say, we recommend you do this. Why isn't that happening for people who are getting chronic illness diagnosis that have to live with this for life? There is no solution right now. So that technically longer than a terminal diagnosis. Okay. Like to me, that is the most frustrating and that's a public health crisis. Right, exactly. And to me, that's the most frustrating. And, you know, I always tell people when I say that, and it's like, trust me, I'm not saying that cancer is any better than a chronic illness. Trust me. I've literally been on that side, but there is a difference of how it's treated when you have a chronic illness. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're, we're ashamed. And we're also like, let's just hide you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just like put you in this lump sum of numbers um, and we'll, we'll get to you maybe if there's the chronic, enough. I also wonder about the chronic illness thing. I, I've been having this sort of conversation with myself lately. I don't know if you relate to this, but the overlap with disability and chronic illness too, you know, that like, usually we understand disability is something that has a visual signifier, like someone who's in a wheelchair, right? Um, so first of all, we need to expand our understanding of what a disability is, but you know, many of us in this community don't necessarily consider ourselves disabled. Right. But where are the support systems for both communities, to be quite honest? We're fighting enough just to get the support for people who have visual signifiers of their their experience, let alone those of us who are dealing with the invisible side of it. And being on the invisible side, you're, you're fighting a little extra, but there's also not necessarily the level of 
sort of ridiculous sympathy that you sometimes get from people too. It's like this mm-hmm. double-edged sword, isn't it? That like, if I were in a wheelchair, I might have people go, oh, what's wrong with you? And that would be really condescending. Right. But because I'm not, no one's asking if I'm okay. Right. It's sort of an interesting place to be, isn't it? Where it's like, well, but I do have this thing for life. Yeah. And and it seems to me, based on this conversation alone, let alone the other conversations that you and I have with other patients, that the system, the healthcare system as it is, is creating crises. Mm-hmm. I mean, are, are there any ways that the healthcare system here in the U.S. you think is working for patients, especially chronic illness patients like you and I? I have, I, I can't answer that question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, can't well, I can't answer that question. Well, I suppose I, it's the good doctors, right? It's like I mean, that. Right. I mean, you have doctors that are really trying. That's why I started off by saying there are doctors out there that are trying their best. Right. Mm. You know, and it's not it's not their fault. It's the system. It's the system. There are really honest hearted people. But then there are also doctors out there that just should not have a job. Like, I'm just saying, like, I've experienced that. I've my husband, I have probably probably have to calm my husband down on multiple occasions so he doesn't get locked up for like going off on someone who's like, I can't believe you just said that. And you're going to practice medicine for another 10 or 15 years. So, I mean, my whole, my whole opinion about all of the things from like healthcare and life, and it's just, people need to be treated like people. I don't like, you know what I'm saying? I feel like it's just this dehumanization is a problem. Right. And whether you have a physical disability or like you can see or whether you have a disability, to me, having a chronic illness in and in itself can be disabling. Hello. So why is it a lot easier for someone to get disability, a.k.a. from the government, (laughs) when you can see it versus someone who has you can't see it? Not to mention the fact that disability keeps people in poverty. Right. So it's just, it's, it's a, it's a big circle of problems. Right. And, um, for me, I just, for me and like, for me, I just keep it from us. I just come to the conclusion, if you will, is that I think there are a lot of good hearted, honest people on all of the sides, right. And everything. Um, but I just don't feel like, um, man can solve this, that this is a, like, God can only fix this. Like, cause I just don't think we have to get to a place where bias is not even part of it. And that's a heart thing, right. And your yeah. heart thing versus a, a system thing. So I just try to treat everyone like a human. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I try to show some compassion for the doctors who don't treat people as humans, but you're not, not going to treat me. Like you're just not going to treat me. Um, and I do think advocating for yourself in anything, it's the only way that you can try to ensure that your journey um, is what you need it to be. Yeah. So how has this understanding and all of your experiences sort of pivoted into your own advocacy work? I mean, you're talking to people on your show. It's sort of a mix of this mindset work, which is so I'm presuming a lot of your experiences informed that work, right? And, yeah. um, you know, talking about chronic illness and talking about talking to people who are living through similar things that you have. Can you talk to us about the expanse, the expansion of your own awareness into your work and how your experiences have played a role in that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like my business currently and my podcast is called she's crafted to thrive. Right. 
And so I truly believe that we are all uniquely not just created, but put together, <laughs> like crafted like a vessel to thrive through whatever it is, but it's figuring out what the tools are for you, right? And what your your what are your special qualities? Because we all have different ones. And so for my business, that's my that's literally my focal point. Like even in the journey of being living with multiple chronic illnesses, mine is so it's its own fingerprint compared to someone else's. And so for me to try to make decisions and run a business and relationships and all of these different things based on someone else's fingerprint is insane. Excuse me, healthcare system, are you listening? (laughs) (laughs) Like we are not all created equal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like that's about individualism, isn't it? Exactly. And it's like, I want that conversation to be the conversation, right? Because whether it's in business, whether it's in health, there's this this un this unspoken but always spoken truth that there is one way or a very specific thing, or you have something special, some secret that no one else or someone else needs in order to be successful. And to me, the secret is you already have it. You just haven't found it and you need to do it for you. Like, so for me, it's, it's really helping my clients and everything that I do to really get with themselves. Like, let's leave all of everything that you believe that is true for you. And first question, is it really true for you? Second, do you want that? (laughs) Right. Do you want that? And, and how do you want your life to be? And when you have a chronic illness, you're constantly going through those three questions, right? You're constantly like, do I want to take this medication? Do I want to do this thing? Do I want to try this holistic? You are trying to figure it out. But before you figure all that out, and this is part of what I always tell people, I'm like, you got to go to the bare roots of who you are. You have to strip away all the other stuff, right? And really get close and connected to who you are. And for me, that's literally kind of like the framework within my business. Um, It's basically what I did for my health journey. I never thought about that until um, I was working with a coach. And she's like, you have made a framework for your business that you don't even realize is tied to your own journey, which is you're trying all these different things. And you're like, something's got to work. And then you were like, no more. I'm just going to listen to me and my body. And it's the same thing in my business. I, you know, my clients usually come to me because they're feeling stressed and overwhelmed because they keep being told that something is wrong with them Mm. or something is wrong with their business or that they're missing something. And I'm like, yes to all those things, but what the thing is that you might, you're missing is you, (laughs) it's you. Yeah. And that's what I really work to help my clients to do. And then you, it's so, it's so affirming when you see women tap into them and to what they are like so passionate and they really find their, their, their um, integrity, their alignment with what they want for their lives. And when that lines up, everything seems to move so much smoother. They get quicker aha moments. They're like making decisions like this and that because nobody else is telling them and they're not paying attention to what they've been told to do. Mm, I love that, which is exactly the journey you've been on, as we've been saying. 
For someone who is going through their own chronic illness journey and possibly going through similar experiences to you, could you distill your advice into three like top tips for people who are navigating this invisible chronic illness experience? I mean, what, what would you have to offer to help humanize the experience for them? I think the biggest thing is number one, write or speak your story. I mean, love, love, love. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you, even when I talk about it right now, I'm like goosey and about to cry. I can't tell you how much power that empowers you to make choices, period, right? Um, number two would be... And I, I don't like to force like religion or anybody or spirit, but I do believe if you connect to something bigger than you and figure out what your purpose is, that also helps you find what it is you want to do with whatever diagnosis or life decision you have in your life. Right. And number three is community. Like those are the three things. Like I, I, as much as all the other things are happening, I think, those are the things that I didn't find until the towards the end of my search, if you will, of how do I make this work? Cause this is not going away. Like in the sense of, I think I always had the spiritual aspect, but I didn't really understand the power of my story and my words and saying that out loud, the freedom and the, uh, it's chemistry. You guys, it's just mm. chemistry. In your brain. And also, like, as you say with your clients, like pinpointing the places where you're telling yourself a story that might not be true. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the community piece, I mean, the community piece is was harder, I feel like, when I first started my, my journey because there was a stigma. There is, you know, you don't talk about chronic illness. You also feel kind of like you're crazy anyway because everybody's telling you're crazy. Um but the community aspect of things is where you find more of your voice because yeah. then you realize, oh, I'm not alone and I'm not single. And no, I'm not crazy. You're crazy for not even listening to me. Mm-hmm. You just get a whole nother level of like umph in your step because you're like, Shh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, as Nitika would say, there's 133 plus million people who have a chronic illness. So no, I'm not crazy. And those are the ones that were diagnosed. So let's not, let's, let's not even get started. Okay. So mm-hmm. I feel like you just get an armor that you can walk this journey and not feel so alone. Yeah, absolutely. What about for you? I mean, you've, you've mentioned a number of like comfort activities, places you turn, you know, to your essential oils when you need relief. But what are three things that you turn to that give you unbridled joy that like, you're never going to compromise on that, you know, maybe it's a comfort activity, but maybe it's also like an indulgence that you turn to, to light yourself up. Like what are three places that you go to to keep the fire lit? Ice cream. I love it. I'm with you on the ice cream. I love me some ice cream. Ice cream. Uh, I love me some ice cream. I just had some last night because I finished my taxes. And I was like, oh, Lord, this is my exciting moment. Celebrate good times. <laughs> um, I love, I love, love people. Like as hard as people are and as stressful mm. as they can be. Um, 
literally people give me joy. I just, I'm just so thankful for all the different experiences and journeys and the perspective and the, all of it. I'm just really happy when I'm around people and unbridled joy has to come from my, my volunteer work that I do for my, for my spiritual work that I do. Mm -hmm. Like nothing, nothing else beats that. Like as much as superhuman activities. Yeah. I'm like, nothing else beats that. So yeah, I, I I mean, just thinking about all three of those things, and especially by doing all those three of those things at the same time, which has happened, ice cream, talking with the people I love and my volunteer work. Oh, yeah. Lord. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So. That's a real, that's a, that's a bit of a come to Jesus moment for sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your ask for listeners today? What can they do to support you and the community that you've created in your continuing work? Well, my ask would be to tell your story because there is a girl who's probably in her closet crying, feeling like she's alone and no one else knows what she's going through. And she needs you just like you needed you. And that's, that's the biggest ask I could really honestly ask is for you to share your story. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be on a podcast, but find some people that you trust to share your story so that they might be able to share it with someone who really needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And also maybe that person is you, the one who needs to hear it. Right. 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 Like maybe you just need to write it in your journal so that you understand what your yes. story is. Yeah. So what, what is next for you in your advocacy and in your health journey? Like what are the next big steps for Nikita? Well, I am going to become a certified aromatherapist. I love that. Love that for you. <laughs> love that journey for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited about that. Um, there's something called aroma tapping, which takes into place emotional freedom techniques, but with essential oils. When you get, when you uh, sign me up, (laughs) I want to do that. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be your first client. (laughs) Yeah. It's been amazing for me. Um, just my experience with it. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, yes, yes. (laughs) Um, so that's a big piece. Um, and I'm just growing my community of women that I work with. Um, yeah. I mean, it's simple. I try to keep things real simple because I don't have the energy to be doing all kinds of stuff. <laughs> well, you and I were saying before we started the interview, we were both like, when you choose to do something that has social impact that you love to do, you never sleep again. Like, you know, you're working all the time. You're committed to this community, but also it's filling you up every time you're coming into contact with it, which is beautiful. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Can you tell everyone where they can find you if they want to engage yeah. with your work as a coach or listen to the podcast? Yeah, you can find me at Crafted to Thrive pretty much anywhere. Everywhere is where I am. Instagram, Facebook. Um, that's my website's URL. If you want to listen to my podcast where I interview other women like amazing Lauren here, um, <laughs> you can go to She's Crafted to Thrive. Um, and yeah, that's how you can find me. Yeah. And also you're pretty active on Clubhouse too. So if Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. I keep there. forgetting about Clubhouse because it's like that new thing that came in. Yeah. The world. Even on Clubhouse, I am crafted to thrive. So you can find me there as well. Yeah. And you've created a group there too, which is awesome. Cause yeah. you, what's wonderful about the work that you do is that you're frequently offering the platform up to other women. Yes. You're, you know, I've got this space. If you want to step into it, please do, which I have 
I mean, it's the thing that I strive to do also. And, and I think having met you and found someone who's so like-minded in that way, we're, when we get together, we're like, let's plan some things. And <laughs> that's always a good time. Yeah. Um, it has been such a joy having you on the show and getting to spend some time with you as always. I am truly honored to have had you on the show and, um, yeah, like you're welcome back anytime because you stuck with me. Um, but yeah, thank you for having me. This was a blast. It's, I mean, it's always such a beautiful thing, humanizing these experiences, which is exactly what you stand for. And these conversations, you know, this is your story. This is, this is who Nikita is. And this is about, being able to share that story because you've made the decision to do that. You know, not everyone has to share it on such a wide platform. Like here is a a beautiful example of telling people who you are and exactly where you stand on things. And um, I really encourage everyone, especially the female entrepreneurs and anyone living with chronic illness out there tuning into this episode to go and check you out because the work you're doing is spectacular and the community you've created is so loving. And um, I'm just thrilled that we got to connect through the work that we both do. So thank you for existing. (laughs) Thank you. You too. (laughs) That's it folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.